may be seated. Merry Christmas to all of you. It's my pleasure to get to introduce to you our preacher this morning, who is Archdeacon Roger Satterstrom. Satterstrom, I just learned. He's from south of the stream in Sweden. That's it. Did I get that That's right? That's it. Not he, like those Nordstrom people. No, no. Nordstrom. <laughs> it's the Satterstroms that we want yeah. preaching here at church. Got it. Uh, Roger, is, he's the archdeacon of our diocese, which means that the, the bishop has appointed him, and he comes alongside the bishop in providing formation for the deacons in our diocese, and then providing just ongoing pastoral care and attention to those deacons. Uh, but Archdeacon Roger does a lot more besides that. He and his wife have a wonderful ministry that they do uh, for folks what is it here? Asylum seekers transitioning through Nashville's Greyhound bus station. They meet them there and provide travel assistance, food, water, toiletry supplies, etc., soft toys for the kids. And he also serves at Christ Cathedral, which is where Father uh, Charlie got to experience his ministry firsthand. He was Father Charlie is one of the place people shaped and formed by uh, Archdeacon Roger here. Uh, and Father Sammy invited and asked him to come and preach to us, which is uniquely appropriate since this past Thursday, we just recognized uh, St. Stephen, the first deacon and martyr. Uh, but I won't say more about that because I think you might have some things. That's to say. great. Thank you so much. So, thank you for being with us. Arch. You can you. call him Archdeacon. You can call him Deacon. You can call him Roger. Any one of those work. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. You know, during this uh, holiday season, I've noticed that when people in my family get together, and we've got a lot of people who live here in the Nashville area in the family, uh, we tell stories. And it's great listening to the stories. Uh, sometimes uh, they're stories from long ago, you know, when, a, when, a, when one of the adults was a kid growing up or what happened at the lake all those years ago. Uh, the same as events, however, I find sound very different when different people recount their recollections of that story. Maybe this happens in your family, too. Depending on who's describing it, the old gentleman who lives across the street was either a Scrooge or a saint. Uh, moving from one town to another was either a disaster or the best thing that ever happened. Same events, different folks, different points of view, very different ways of telling the story of their experience. I think this must be a, a built-in part of being human, needing to remember things in various ways in order to get the fullest picture of what might have been that reality or certainly my experience and understanding of it. A few moments ago, we heard the wonderful poetry of those first four verses, actually the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. But the first few stick with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. Here was John's version of the Christmas story. It's essentially the same tale we hear from Luke on Christmas Eve, except without the manger and the shepherds and the angels. And it's really the same story that Matthew tells us in his gospel, except without Joseph's dreams and wise men and angels and flight to Egypt. 
the point of view of John's gospel is different from Matthew and Luke. Scholars tell us that John, who was born a Jew, wrote this gospel for other Jews who were beginning to follow the way of Jesus at the latter part of the first century. By the time this last of the four gospels was written, Christianity had developed as a recognizable sect within Judaism. As this early Jesus movement grew, the followers were tolerated less and less by the temple authorities. By the time of Jesus' writing, I should say John's writing about Jesus, uh, shortly before the end of the first century, the Jewish followers of Jesus were being shut out of the synagogues. John may well have read the accounts written by uh, Matthew and by Luke, but John is a theologian. He's a mystic. He isn't so concerned with historical details or engaging imagery. Instead, he writes about the meaning of Jesus' birth. He writes from his theology and from the holy imagination of his prayers. But he's still saying the same things, telling the same story as the gospel writers before, all three saying the same thing, but in different ways, different voices, different perspectives. John begins his story earlier than the Bethlehem nativity, much earlier. He reminds us that the nativity, the start of a new era in human experience, really begins where Genesis begins, in the beginning, with God in creation. He recounts the meaning of the nativity in just nine words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Using language that evokes the first verses of Genesis, John talks about the beginning of everything. The word here, the word, is God in action, God creating, God in the act of revealing himself. The word was with God, and the word was God. I'm deeply attracted to this image of God in action, God revealing in the world. Maybe it's because as a deacon in the Episcopal Church, my formation, my training, my my personal orientation all reflect a faith-filled call to action in the world, what deacons do. We're going to circle back to John's Gospel in a moment, but Permit me to linger for just a little bit on this topic of deacons in the church today. Deacons have been part of the fabric of the church from the earliest days of Christianity. First century religious leaders at the time John was writing his gospel found that they needed help to assure fair distribution of food to the growing number number of people of the way, especially widows who had relocated to Jerusalem from Greek-speaking areas of of the diaspora, the ancient world, in which 
Jews had migrated. These people who had come back to Jerusalem, mostly widows, because they couldn't stay where they were at that time without a husband and the goods that a husband offers, returned uh, to die in the Holy Land, but they had no local family members to turn to. They were on their own, and they were often overlooked in the sharing of food and other resources. So to correct this situation, the religious elders selected a handful of designated helpers, or in Greek we'd say diakonos, servants, who made sure that the widows and other followers who were disadvantaged, poor, or otherwise subject to discrimination were assured of welcome, fairness, and respect within the early communities of faith. Today, deacons, diakonos, continue that tradition of servant leadership, working mostly outside the doors of the church, in the communities in which they dwell. And there are thousands of ordained deacons active in the United States and around the world, in, in the Roman church, in Anglican tradition, Orthodox. Deacons tend, in all of these circumstances, to be practical, straightforward, and outwardly focused in their work in ministry as deacons, as servants, as helpers. There are currently seven deacons active in parish work in the Diocese of Tennessee, and that number is growing. A deacon's core work is to bring the needs and gifts of the world to the church and to bring the hope and gifts of the church to the world. In fact, the sacred vows that a deacon makes in the ordination liturgy names that special ministry of servanthood to serve all people, particularly the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely. So if you wonder what a deacon does, it's the poor, the sick, the weak, the lonely. Deacons value in the world speaking truth to turbulence, speaking peace to leadership, seeking out opportunities for acts of mercy, advocating for justice and respect for all persons, encouraging others to, in their call to listen and act, and proclaiming the good news of God's reign breaking into our lives here and now. Deacons also assist the bishop and priests in public worship and the ministration of God's word and sacraments. For example, deacons uh, serve in worship in specific ways, such as uh, helping to set the table for the Eucharistic meal, is distributing uh, Holy Communion, uh, bidding the congregation back out into the world at the end of the service to do the work we've been given to do. And deacons proclaim the gospel, giving voice to the story of our faith. And in this season, we hear many voices describing the nativity miracle. Well, Matthew, Luke, and John tell the nativity story in different voices. There is one image, one symbol, and only one, that all three Gospels use to describe the miracle in Bethlehem. Can you guess what it is? They all talk about light, the light of the star, 
the light that shone around the shepherds, the true light that enlightens everyone. Where Christ is, people talk about light. They have to. There's no better image for what's going on. The light shines in the darkness, John proclaims, and somehow we get that. And we understand that this truth cannot be better expressed any other way. Well, maybe we understand this because we know about darkness. We know what it's like to live in and with darkness. We've experienced walking in the dark, feeling a bit lost, maybe a bit frightened, disoriented. We've experienced times of darkness, unwelcome darkness, in our own lives, when predictability and comfort are things of the past and the way forward is not apparent. Light and darkness exist together in our world, in our relationships, in our experience of daily life, and we always, we always gravitate towards the light. What John and Luke and Matthew all say about Christmas is that a light begins to shine suddenly, quietly, with absolute certainty. And by that light, we begin to see. By that light, we begin to see who we are, who we are created to be. And it's in that light that what it means to be fully human finally becomes clear. In that light, we see that hope is never abandoned and that we dwell in the realms of possibility beyond our imaginings. By the light that came into the world, we begin to see God clearly for the first time. Who God is in relationship to us is fully revealed in Jesus, the light. Not in any one saying of his or any one parable or any one miracle, but in the all of him, in the totality of him, of his life, his ministry, death, and resurrection, the light of Christ, the living word, comes among us in this season, and we celebrate its coming into the world. The first Christmas, the stable was dark, but the light shone. And it continues to shine today. This is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Open us to your light, O God, and kindle the flame of your spirit within us, for alone we flicker, but together we blaze. Amen.